balloon at me and it doesn't break, I'm throwing it back. <laughs> Just want that really clearly known. Yeah, and if you go on our makeshift slip and slide out there, um, we are not responsible if you get hurt. So just let's be clear about that right off the bat. And I'm actually quite serious about that. Hey, do you ever hear the expression, follow the money? Right? We, we, we kind of know what it means, what it's for, what it refers to. It means if you see a person or someone in government or a company doing something and you think, why are they doing that? And, and someone will come along and say, well, follow the money. And you, what it means is there's probably a financial motive behind what that person is doing. Money does make people um, do things or do, follow a specific path in their life. And it's following the money gives us that idea of, hey, they're going to get some kind of financial gain. Unfortunately, it's often true that as we follow, if we do follow the money, we get to understand what's motivating them. Yes, I'm sorry, that's a little cynical, but it's often the way it is. Now, we're going to finish up Timothy today, and boy, when you talk about flying high over a particular letter, um, we're supposed to cover chapters 5 and 6 today, and I was pretty sure you didn't want to go to 3 o'clock. And so I said, let me, let me focus it down and really and praying to the Lord. says, God, what, what does Zion need to hear about? Where should I focus our time out of these two chapters? And as I was reading those, I noticed Paul several times refers to financial or money issues. And so I thought, okay, we'll follow the money. We'll look at that today. And I was thinking the last time, I was trying to remember the last time I preached specifically about money and I couldn't remember. So I said, well, then we're due, right? And so that's, that's kind of as deep as it gets um, for, uh, for our motivation. But I do encourage you, there's more about relationships and uh, and doctrine and so forth uh, that are relevant and just hope if you get a chance, read those chapters, if not the whole letter again. So let's look at the first part uh, regarding money. And this is regarding elders and money, all right? And so 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, Back in chapter 3, Paul dealt a little bit with elders with qualifications. He says elders should not be lovers of money. That's a qualification that they're not greedy in that way. But when I read this verse, and here I am standing up here before my church, this is a little awkward because what are we talking about? My pay, my compensation. And it's, again, awkward. I mean, I, I grew up in a household where uh, my 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 dad taught me you don't tell people what you earn. Um, but, you know, if you read the budget every year, you know what I earn uh, with that. And so it's, it, I'm just being honest here. This is awkward for me to talk about uh, when it comes to, to my compensation. But what does Paul say? Uh, you know, some people think pastors work one day a week. Right? It's like, hey, it's a pretty easy gig. In fact, friends of mine, when I was with a quarterback club and we, they needed someone to do something to take care of some tasks, they said, let's ask Joe. He only works an hour a week. 
It's like, oh, right. Yeah, and they, we'd all laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, well, there's actually more to what I do than this moment here. Uh, what do I do? Maybe you're asking yourself that. What do you do as a full-time physician uh, at Zion? Well, lots of my time is spent in the Word. And that, that's, that's critical, and that involves a lot of study. Now, sometimes it, it varies on how much time that's needed. If we're starting a new series or, or a longer passage, there's going to be a lot of concentrated time on how much that I'm pouring into that particular passage, and then that will kind of save me time later on uh, to really get into you know some of the grammar and all that other stuff and looking at resources. So um, there, there really is a lot of time needed for a message. The rule of thumb is that it takes 30 minutes of study for every five minutes of message. And so you could do the math on that one. But again, it varies as well. But it's not just time in the Word for teaching and, and in preaching, but also just for direction. What does God want us to do? What, are, what should our priorities be as a church? Well, we don't want to make those up on our own. We want to study the Word of God. Remember, we saw a couple weeks ago, the Word of God is our anchor. It holds us fast to what we should believe and teach. So that's part of what I do. Uh, and again, it varies uh, again, according to the time, the, it, it used to take me a lot longer to do those things, but as I've kind of gained in my experience, it doesn't take quite as long. I'll give you an analogy. Um, uh, we had three posts in front of our house that were holding up a soffit and uh, hired a guy who, to come out and replace them. And six by six posts were, there were four by fours, and he put six by sixes in. If I had to do that job, maybe I could have gotten one post done the entire day. I just don't, I don't know how to do that work as well. He, one guy, all three posts set in concrete, he's, he was done by 2.30. You know how he did that? Just by experience. So he was able to work more efficiently. Same thing when you're, when you're reading through the Word and getting used to studying and kind of drawing on that experience. But the other time is times of prayer. Uh, when you look at Acts 6, and actually we will next week, when you look at the goal for the apostles, and, and I think by extension elders, is they have to be in time of prayer. Again, why? Because we got to know what God wants. It's not about us just giving our request, and that's an act of faith, but listening to what the Lord wants for our church. And that takes time. Of, of extended periods in prayer, sometimes days away, uh, but also keeping that uh, 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 priority during the week. Uh, praying for myself, praying for my own walk with God, praying that as we're preparing for a Sunday message, he's speaking to me first. And so those are the big, the big rocks, we would say, of, of how much I, uh, I'm using for my time. There's also, again, pastoral care. There's things for outreach, uh, just like when we did the, the uh, luncheon for the teachers. By the way, thank you again for all of you who helped with your time and your resources and donations and everything. Uh, Tom and Ed and I were there. It was neat. We didn't plan this, but it was neat to see uh, the men serving Jesus as an example for the other teachers and staff that were there. But that, that's part of our outreach. And then there's just planning and administration as we're, for example, getting ready for uh, experiencing God. Well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to put this together? How are we going to fit it in our calendar? All those things take time. So that's what I do. That's kind of my job description 
And Paul's clear here. Again, this feels awkward for me, but he says, look, you've got to pay elders and by default a generous amount so they could focus on prayer and the word. Pastor burnout is real. Uh, I hear it about it. I hear about it all the time. Some pa- you know, new pastors are lasting four or five years and they quit. Uh, others are just, they're just throwing in, their, their families are a mess, they're stressed out, there's too much to do because they're not focusing on the things they should focus on. An elder should focus on prayer and the word and the oversight of his church, leading as a shepherd. This does take energy and time. Paul uses this scripture as an example. He says, don't muzzle an ox while he's threshing. What does he mean by that? What's, what, why is he talking about oxen? Well, uh, we don't do this much. I mean, we have obviously diesel uh, tractors and everything. But when it's harvest time and you need to uh, go along and harvest, uh, you, you let the ox eat as he goes. You could put a muzzle on him because, well, that's my grain. I'm going to save the grain for me and my family. But Deuteronomy chapter 25 says, no, let the ox eat as he goes. So he's saying the same thing, and a laborer's due his wages. He's saying the same thing for preaching, teaching, pastors, elders. You got to let your ox eat. So yes, I guess I'm an ox uh, by default. By, but that, that's the principle. If you have a red letter Bible where it says um, the laborer's due his wages, it might be in red for you because it's actually repeated a couple times in Jesus. I think it's Matthew and Luke chapter 10 in both of those. Uh, but elders can get distracted by other things, even good things. Uh, and there is a kind of a fad, a fad's kind of not the right word, but it's, it's really been around for a long time. There's just been given a word for it. It applies to me and applies to Pastor Trent and Pastor Steve as well. And it's the term bivocational. It means we have work outside of our church. Uh, many, most of you know I substitute for our school district in the high school and, and junior high school. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we did it, frankly, out of default when, we're, when our budget was really tight several years ago. We, t- we took some cuts uh, and, and we asked, can we, can we try to supplement? And as it turned out, it offered up opportunities for all three of our pastors to be involved with other areas of ministry. So largely now, um, my motivation for being a sub is not so much for the money, although it's helpful and handy. Uh, My motivation is that's our mission field. That gets us in the building that way. And so there's there's, um, a, I don't want to say this, a a mission part of it. Uh, and, but if that's the case, if a church does that, and more and more churches are doing that, uh, just to be aware, that means that pulls them away. It means you might call me in the middle of the day. I can't get your call right then. And there, needs, there, and there has been. I'm not saying there has been understanding. But um, it, it just takes some of that time during the week. And really, frankly, a pastor shouldn't do everything. That's where that burnout is coming from. They're trying to do everything. But we are all living stones. We are all part of a body of Christ. Every member, just like every organ in your body, needs to do its own gig. And that not only 
helps yourself, it serves the other parts of the body. That's a biblical church. And again, I hope you could join us next week uh, as we, we talk about that more. So that's the awkward part. Let's move on to another section about money. This is about employees and employers. Jumping to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul goes on and writes, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloveds. Let's summarize. Now, is he looking at this and he says, wait a minute, we don't have bond servants, we don't have slaves, but when it comes to employment, that's kind of what we do. We're, we're giving, not, every, not 24-7, but we're giving a chunk of our day to someone else under the agreement that they will pay us. But under that time, that eight hours or whatever your shift is or your time is, maybe you're on call 24-7, you have to respond to that master or that, we would say, boss or employer. And so I think this is very applicable as well. And he says, look, you, as in, use the word, employees, show your boss honor. Well, what if they're jerks? Show your boss honor honor. There's no exception. Well, they don't deserve it. Show your boss honor. Okay. Why do do they do that? Well, for two reasons. One is that the name of God, he says, won't be reviled or discredited. Because if we're jerks back, that doesn't reflect just on us. That reflects on the Lord. Hmm, that's a little more serious. And the teaching is not reviled. Let me give you an example for that. This is going way back when I was a a first-year Bible student in Portland, Oregon, and needed a job. I needed a part-time job, and United Parcel Service was hiring. Because you think, oh, you drove the round trucks. No, they still need people who will unload and load the trucks and the tractor trailers. And sort them. It's a very labor-intensive thing at that time. I was there at my school. They were coming to our school, Multnomah Bible College, and was interviewing. And the first thing out of the out of the UPS rep's mouth was, "This is probably the last time we're coming to this school." And I said, "Why? What's what, what's going on?" He says, "We hire guys from this school. They we." put all that time and money into training them, and they quit in two months because it's too hard. It was hard work. I mean, I, I ate like a horse and lost weight. I mean, it was a three-and-a-half-hour workout. Pay was great. Benefits were great. I needed and wanted that job. I, ended up, I thought, I'm going to work very hard for you guys because I don't want another black eye on my college. And it was me and another... A couple years older than me, we were in our you know mid upper twenties, and we said we're we're going to be a good example no matter how hard it is. And it was hard work. Again, I would come home exhausted. But do you see what happens when we're not giving a good witness to our employer? It reflects back. Here it reflected back on my school. But 
for us as believers, we have to reflect the gospel as well. And Paul does go on to say about having a believing uh, master. Well, let's say a slave or a master or a boss and an employee, they're both believers. They're brother or brother, sister in Christ or sister in Christ. And so Paul says, all the more. Don't take advantage of your brother and sister because you share faith. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all the same in Christ, but show them even more honor. And I've had that experience too, as I've supervised, supervised people and felt at times taken advantage of, oh, well, you're a believer, you can't correct me. You can't. And I'd say, hey, you really need to be doing this a little bit better in your job. <sighs> And be all in a huff because they had to be corrected about their job. You're supposed to be a Christian leader. It's like, okay, I'm being real nice about it, but you still need to do a better job. And there is this assumption or almost taking advantage that because we share that faith that I couldn't correct them in their job. That has to do with money, obviously, as part of our income. But let's continue on in chapter 6 because Paul now is going to address the rich and money as well. Hey, let me give you a preview. This passage that we're, these passages we're going to get into are some of the sternest warnings in the New Testament. And it's about money. It's about riches. He's going to start though at verse 6 of chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we should be content. Think of that mental state of being content. Whether you're content or not, just imagine it. Imagine being content. Because when we're not content, it means we want something. Possibly even say need something. There's something uh, missing. Uh, and I just have this angst, this frustration that it's not mine. And so Paul says it is a joy to be content. Our culture doesn't think that way. Our culture thinks in terms of always getting more. And maybe we kind of get sucked in to that mindset. Our house needs to be better. Our car needs to be better. Uh, our, our front yard, whatever it is, needs to be better. Now there is some wisdom, just so we're clear, on accumulating some wealth and for savings. Right. It, it's wise. I know some people recommend having a, a, at least a month's worth of income that if things happen, you, you know, maybe you're out of work for a week or two, you're not going to be destitute. But when it, when it comes, we're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about rainy days of retirement or unforeseen uh, expenses, but other people focus their life on it. Can I give you a, another example of how that looks in our culture? These things. You got to have the latest. If you don't have an Apple version, what are we on now? 28? I don't know. 14, 15? Yeah, there's a lot of pressure to get the latest and greatest. I, don't, I think I have a 12. It's been working fine. I'm good with it. I'm content. I don't need the latest and greatest. But that's an example of what our culture does. Um, imagine, imagine again the feeling of not needing or wanting. Wouldn't that be nice? That's called contentment. 
And it's, it's being thankful for what we have. Be content with what we really need. Food, shelter, and we get, add clothing to that as well. And the, I think thankfulness is a key part of that to build that contentment. How many of you have three or four things around your house that you think need to be done? I do. Right? There's all, isn't there always something? There's always something. But you know what? I've been in my home and a storm's coming through. And even though there's stuff that needs to get done or I want to do, my, my family and I are dry. We're warm. Thanking God for what he's given us. That helps breed and develop that contentment. It is nice. It is a blessing. It is a joy to say, God, I'm good with what you give me. You know, if our, in this building, if our air conditioner went out, if our later in winter our heater went out and we're uncomfortable, we should be content with what we have and, and with God at the moment. Now, here comes the warning. Think about the worst possible sin. What's the worst one besides unbelief? When I think of the really bad sins, I tend to think of crimes against kids. That's what I, I just, oh, my tell you, I want, if I had that Elijah calling down heaven or calling down thunderbolts gift, I would use it. Because these people that hurt kids like that just angers me to no end. But listen to what Paul says about wealth about what's the real root of all this. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. But those who desire to be rich, discontent, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here it is. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Even abuse of children. Follow the money. Goes back to loving money. People are abusing children and, and others. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There are so many consequences of, of desiring money, to, to love money. He says you're going to fall into temptation. What kind? Any kind. Any kind. You're going to fall into a snare. What's a snare? Snare is a type of trap or a leg trap. An animal, when an animal gets caught in some kind of snare or leg trap, it's got two options. Wait to be killed or chew its leg off. When we get caught into a snare because we're so anxious for wealth, we're putting ourselves in the same position. We fall into senseless and harmful desire, plunge into ruined destruction. In other words, that focus is going to ruin your life and ruin the lives of those you love. It happens all the time. It's the root of all sin. The love of money. Not, now be careful here. It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. In, in the Greek text, it's actually one word. Uh, it is um, translated sometimes as greed. And there's an older word we don't use too much anymore called avarice. So greed and avarice. You can wander from the faith. 
Paul says you, you wander from the faith. Does he mean you could lose your salvation? No, I don't think he means that here. In the letter to 1 Timothy, when he uses the word faith, just about every time he's not talking about saving faith, the, you know, by grace you've been saved through faith, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved faith. He's talking about holding on to the truth of doctrine, the truth of what God teaches, keeping the faith, that kind of faith. So he's saying, look, if you get caught up in that kind of priority, you're going to wander away from what you know is true. We saw a few weeks ago that the word is an anchor. It holds us fast to what is true. If we decide we're going to start loving money, we're, gonna, we're, we're cutting that anchor chain and we'll drift away. Probably not overnight, but over time, over years, we'll find ourselves all of a sudden doing and believing things we never thought we would do or believe. We can abandon what we know is true. It's a slow but sure course. And finally, Paul says, look, it's going to pierce you with many pangs, pains. It's going to hurt. That's serious, isn't it? Again, the root of all kinds of evil is the love of money. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. You know, when Jesus said, let's bring this home to us just practically for today, when he said you could serve two masters, he was talking specifically, and I think it applies to other things, but specifically he was talking about money and God. You can't, you can't serve both of them. If you don't believe that, go ahead and give it a try. Try to serve God in money. At some point, one of those is going to take priority over the other. Give it a shot and see what happens. I don't, I don't recommend it, but our money and our use of money should honor God. It's just a thing, but it's not something we should worship. If you're feeling discontent, let me just take this burden off of you. Money in God's eyes is not a measurement of success. Wealth is not a measurement of success. The state of your house, the state of your car, which phone you own, has nothing to do with Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of your life. It doesn't. There are, there are very successful people in God's eyes who are dirt poor and other successful people in God's eyes who are filthy rich, but it has nothing to do with their wealth. Or some are like us where we're somewhere in the middle. Will not take it with you. What's that old gag? How much did he leave behind, this, this rich man who died? How much did he leave behind? He left all of it. And it might be gone. Our, our heirs might squander our wealth within months. And it could be gone. One day, our houses are going to be bulldozed. Okay, it, it, it's going to happen. So when we consider it, it's something that we use. We're just causing ourselves stress and frustration. Again, if you don't believe that, then try to worship the money. Try to follow it. You're, uh, Paul's really clear. It's going to lead to a very, not just discontented life, but a life filled with pain. And he's trying to warn us here to avoid that. So whatever we do, don't love money. How do we not love money? 
Well, use it for God's purposes. We, we, all, ha- we all have funds. All right. um, again, awkward time, awkward moment. I think one of the best ways is towards your local church. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but we, you know, we, we have ongoing expenses. We have ongoing things when uh, it, it's not just turning, keeping the lights on and keeping the heat on, although we certainly pay for those. But our real purpose is the mission God's given us to help people far from God discover life in Christ. That's, our, that's what it's all going towards. When we contribute actual funds or even, and even our time and our effort, we're contributing towards that. And I think that's a great mission. Uh, we're share, you have a share in it. And when we're generous in it, that goes with it. Say, and so when, when there are times when we're on vacation or whatever, it's important to make sure that we keep up with that. Uh, and because to be, again, frank and another awkward moment, summers are light in our giving. And because people are gone. But it, it doesn't, it, it may, a lot of times it kicks up again in the fall and so forth. But um, our our budget is not just what we need to pay bills. It's meeting the mission of God. Um, we're going to sing in a moment here after our pause and pray and some announcements. Uh, the song we're going to sing has this line. No one and nothing comes close to you. Song Simple Pursuit. And think about that as we're singing that here in a few minutes. Thinking about your wealth. Thinking about your your pursuit for wealth, my pursuit for wealth. I want to say that to God. God, nothing and no one comes close to you. Not a, not a windfall of, of funny, money, funny, of money and funds. Nothing comes close to you like that. Let's spend some time in prayer as we look to these verses. First of all, just remember, God measures success apart from money. That's relief. It's like, oh, good. <laughs> The rich, the poor, everyone needs Jesus Christ to get into heaven. Maybe God's spoken to you this morning and say, you know what, I, wanna, I need to give up, fill in the blank, in order to focus these funds on God's kingdom. I've been spending my money on this, whatever it is, and I need to give that up. And we're, we're, we'll applaud what, that prayer with you. And then just as a prayer and a plea, God, keep me clear from the love of money. That will hurt not only myself, but those I love more than anything else. It is the root of all evil. we got to believe that. When we uh, work with couples on uh, pre-marriage counseling, pre-marriage meetings, we deal with finances and budgets and savings and all that. But we go through this passage and remind them, don't, don't set yourself up to think you need to develop wealth because you're here to get married. You're here to walk this life with Jesus, not by just accumulating things that are someday going to burn. If you'd like to pray out loud today, I encourage you to do that. Maybe there's something else you saw in these passages that you want to uh, pray through and, and praise the Lord for or to uh, get, bring to him as a, as a request. By all means, you're not limited to what's on the screen. I'll close us off in a little bit. But if you don't want to pray out loud, then just pray quietly with us. So let's bow our heads. 
about what is successful, what is good, what we should be pursuing. God, I remember high school reunions when that's all people talked about is how rich they were. And yet, Lord, without you, our lives are indeed empty. And we are not as wealthy as others, and we are not as poor as others. But nonetheless, Lord, we pray for content hearts, whether we lose everything, whether we're like Job sitting on a pile of ashes scraping our boils, <laughs> that we'd say, the, Lord's, the Lord is good. He gives, he takes away. And, and Lord, because we don't want our joy, our happiness to be based on what we have in the bank, uh, what, we, what we have cash on hand, whatever it might be. Lord, we um, are grateful that we don't have to bow to this very vicious idol. And we could, we could focus our hearts on you. Lord, I want to use my, my time, my, tr- my treasure, and my talents for your kingdom and keep me clear, Lord, for the love of money. I get, I get full of anxiety and, and wonderment about and worry just like everyone else does. And, and yet, Lord, you remind me that you indeed are faithful. Uh, and so, God, but nevertheless, Lord, if I find myself destitute, I, will, I testify here, yet I will praise you. Because nothing can take away that. And we don't believe in a prosperity gospel that says if we follow rules, we'll get rich. That's not, that's not what we want. We want just to worship you. And so, God, thank you, thank you for this time. Thank you for this letter we've been able to go through in your name. Amen. Hey, we do have our potluck today. If you wanted to stick around and then watch the kids on their uh, slip and slide out there and throw water balloons, you're welcome uh, for that. Uh, I do have several announcements about experiencing God because we're starting on September 10th. That's the official Sunday. And I encourage you before, do commit to this where you're going to be stretched. Uh, for, for some people, it's going to be, boy, just getting here every Sunday. That's, that's great. That's fine. Uh, I do want to encourage you, though, to be part of a small group. And um, there are several. And, but let me just go through these. Sun, we have Sunday, 8 a.m. The guys are meeting. We're starting at 8 a.m. sharp. We have another one on Tuesday night. It's 6.30, and it's here. All of these, by the way, are here. Um, Wednesday is 10 a.m. for the ladies. Okay, now there's two additional ones. And for these, if, you want, if you're interested in these, we need you to sign up. Because, for example, if no one's coming on Saturday, I won't either. <laughs> right? I, just so we know. But, hey, we have a couple people here, two or three, then that would be fine. But there's also Thursday night and also Saturday morning. So we got 6.30 p.m., 8 a.m. Boy, you're going to gain even more by committing to that. The other is the workbook. Uh, Long story short, our order was doubled. And so I wasn't expecting to have a lot of workbook copies. If you bought one already, I'm sorry. But there they are. We we have uh, uh, several copies. They are $20.00. Uh, if you write a check, please make it out to Zion. But those are back there. Yes? 6.30 Sunday evening for our I'm getting there. Oh. Okay. Um, there's also, uh, so, so get, if, you, if, you, if you get the workbook, there's five daily lessons in there. There's scripture memory. There's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of God to dig into. 
and to experience. Let's put it that way. Um, and so, I, again, I encourage you, hey, from, from the 10th of September all the way till just about Thanksgiving week, we're going to be focused on experiencing God and the lessons that are there. Uh, the kids are going to be doing the same things. The next one is for our teens. We're very excited for uh, Rob. And then Austin's not here today. We'll be leading our teens on uh, Sunday nights at 6.30 again here. And we'll have uh, a teen version of the Experiencing God book. Uh, speaking of the book, there's also a hard copy book that's not, some, not a workbook, not something you fill in, but it's, you, know, you could read through the lessons, the, the re, seven realities that they talk about. You can grab that as well. I don't have copies of that. I think that one is $15. So, whew, there's a lot there. But wait, there's more. Okay. If you're a family and you got kids that need sitting, okay, need some childcare, Trish has volunteered to... Um, do child care one of those, either the Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday morning time, she'll do child care. Okay? If anyone wants to help her, I'm sure she'll take the help. We don't know. what. If you guys can want to put your brains together and figure out which day or you know, Saturday morning or Tuesday, Thursday you want to do, let us know. But she wants to go to her own group too, so we need to, we're just doing the one. Okay? Um, I promise you, though, you won't be disappointed in investing time and effort into knowing more and more about the Lord and what he wants for your life. This, I, I, as I've been studying this more and more, this is going to be the difference between being religious and loving Jesus from your heart. Okay. So, um, again, families, please talk to Trish to work those out. And I have one other announcement, and this one's personal. We are going to be grandparents again. And so, yeah. Mike and Grace are expecting their first child in the middle of January. And so we're just, we're, uh, we're excited for that. We're waiting. So we'll probably go down there uh, for a couple days when the baby's born and then again in June. But uh, there might be a coming up a day where we say, okay, we'll, we'll see you. We're, we're in South Carolina uh, to see our new little son or daughter. We don't know. Uh, so appreciate prayers. Uh, from Mike and Grace. Everything's going well. Grace is feeling great. Um, she's getting that little pooch right now. So are we ready? Simple pursuit.